0: Give him a big clap, would you, my dear brother, Trevor Salisbury. I was um, listening to a preacher some time ago who used to be a burglar. (laughs) And he said that uh, in his life as a burglar, or when he used to steal from houses, he would always use the principle that you'd had to steal up. You had to burgle up. You never burgle someone's house who's on the same socioeconomic level as you are. You always burgle up. And when he became a preacher, he realised that if he was ever going to um, plagiarise or pinch someone's message or their, you know, material for a book or something, he always had to burgle up. So I'm not plagiarising or burglaring the message this morning, but I am going to burglar, burgle the title from last week. And Tory's and title was, um, Your Best is Yet to Come. So I thought, well, I always get asked for a title for a message, so... We might as well use that. It's pretty good. So our best is yet to come. An 85-year-old man wake, woke up in the recovery room of a hospital, and he notices an elderly woman sitting in the seat to his left, and he says, Martha, is that you? She says, yes, Harry, it is me. Martha, where am I? Harry, you're in hospital, and I'm here with you. What happened, Martha? She said, "We were three weeks ago, we were out in the garden, and I was pruning the roses, and you were mowing the lawn, Harry. And you had a heart attack, and the lawnmower fell back and cut your foot. Oh, Martha, what's happened? Well, Harry, you've had a triple bypass, and your foot has been amputated. Oh, but Martha, you're here, though. Yes, Harry, I am here. Martha, do you remember the time when I was up the ladder painting the house and I f- the dog ran past and kicked the ladder and I fell off the paint and the tin hit me on the head? Harry, I remember that time, but we don't have a dog. You were being nosy and you were leaning over looking at the neighbour's place and you lost balance and you fell over the paint and the tin hit you on the head. But Martha, you were there. Yes, Harry, I was there. Martha, do you remember the time when I was we were biking into town and uh, you, I was going fast and you fell off the back and then I went round the corner and a truck hit me and I ended up being in the hospital for, for three weeks? Yes, Harry, I remember that. But I didn't fall off, I jumped off. <laughs> but, but Martha, you you were there. Yes, Harry, I was there. Just then a tear forms in the corner of Harry's eye and he reaches out to touch the hand of Martha and he says, Martha, your bad luck. <laughs> <laughs> and like Harry, our like Harry, our world is not well. And like Harry, it is one thing after another. And no matter what news channel you watch, it seems to be our world is really suffering. There's wars and rumours of war. There's skirmishes on borders and major superpowers threatening each other. We've got a, a terrible disease or a virus that's affecting every country. And racism, a scourge that our so-called modern culture shouldn't tolerate, remains rife. And millions of people are displaced because of flood and famine and, and natural disaster and that sort of thing. And th- with all that, we have a, a disturbed environment that's threatening the very future of our planet. And like Harry, the ungrateful husband who blamed his wife, we have some people who blame God for the predicament we're in not realising that the problems really are of our own making. And I don't know about you, but with all that's happening in our world at the moment, it makes me want to dream of a better world, doesn't it? And even on a, a level that's personal like Harry, we can have some very deep personal issues that we struggle with. We have a debilitating... Sickness, we have our, maybe our health fails or the loss of employment or maybe um, a loved one dies or we lose the house that we live in. Or stuff happens personally in life. And it seems for some of us, the, the very journey of our existence can be a series of saying goodbyes and farewells. Farewell to all that we value and treasure and, and love and care for. Goodbye, and at the end of it all, of, of course, for all of us, there is that final goodbye, the farewell to life itself. Now, please, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to take you down negative street this morning. I'm just trying to paint a picture, so hang in with me. Because when you look at all the problems in the world out there, and then you can experience some of the pain that we deal with in here it's so easy to say goodbye to hope it's so easy to let go of hope it's been said that you can live 40 days without food four days without water eight minutes without air but only one minute without hope and we desperately need a hope that we can hang our life on Really hang our life on the book of Hebrews has a, a very interesting analogy, and it's, it, it it talks about a, a a boat that's being tossed around on the rough sea, and it says that hope is the anchor for our souls. Now I've never been in a as a I've done a lot of boating. I've never been in a situation where I've been. Uh, threatened with being smashed against the rocks, but I've spoken to someone who has, and he just said it's it's a terrible feeling knowing that you're at the mercy of the elements and there is nothing you can do because your anchor has failed. And hope is an anchor. For the soul. That's what Hebrews says. And we need something that will take us beyond the rough existence of life that we sense and hear, and also the anxiousness and the fear that we sometimes have because of what we see in the wide world around us. That takes us beyond that and anchors us into something that's really strong. See, hope is not a hyped up optimism, and hope is not just wishful thinking, but hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. You got that? Hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. Now, I don't know about you guys, but the last few weeks we've had some pretty prolonged, rough, cold, wet weather, haven't we? And, and I'll, you know, I'm just hoping for spring, you know? And, and when we hope for spring, it's not just wishful thinking. But we know that we know that we know spring is coming, don't we? We know that one day we'll pull the curtains back and there'll be the first flowers in the garden. Yeah. We know that when we travel down a rural road, we'll see the, the new lamb jumping for the first time. In fact, this morning I pulled back the curtains, which is a strange thing because Viv is away at the moment and I normally just leave everything closed, you know. Yeah. Guys, you know what that's like, you know. I pulled back the curtains and our first rhododendron, we've got a rhododendron that just doesn't know what the seasons are, but it, but, but it flowers in July and the first flowers are coming out. Hope is the confident expectation that good is coming. And we know spring's coming. Hope is the confident expectation that good is coming to our world. A world that when God made it, he saw it was very good. And whilst it now is under the influence of sin and bad management, good is coming to our world. And good is coming to our world because of the greatest event in history. And that's when Jesus rose from the dead. He broke the power of death and the power of sin and the power of evil, and he he dealt with suffering and pain, and he rose again to a new life. Hope is coming to our world. The, Jesus told several parables about his coming again. In fact, in the New Testament, there are over 300 references to the second coming of Christ. But this morning, I want us to look at one very small passage in Matthew chapter 19. And in this passage, he talks about where history is going and how it's going to end. Now, I believe that this this is such a, a. Can we just have the next slide up here? So, in in Matthew nineteen, just as a bit of a, a background here, just before this verse, Jesus um, there was that situation where some people bring a children to Jesus for the, for him to to pray for them, and the disciples say, <laughs> "Send the children away because Jesus is more interested in." mature people and Jesus says no 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 let the children here let me bless them and he prays for them okay and then we have this story that Peter referred to before about the rich young ruler and he comes to Jesus and and uh, he says what, what do I need to do to have eternal life and Jesus says well you know you've got to uh, you know you got to make sure you haven't you haven't um, murdered you haven't stolen you haven't lied and uh, you've honored your parents and he says well I've done all those things and Jesus said, well, you need to sell everything you have and give the money to the poor. And he can't handle that because he's a very rich person. He walks away. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, well, listen, um, you, this, it's pretty obvious that it's easier for, a rich, for, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, and the and the um, disciples or Peter says, "Well, listen, we've given up lots, you know, to to be with you and to commit our lives to you. What's in it for us?" And Jesus comes up with these words: "Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." The key here is this. Four words, the renewal of all things. Now, this word renewal, I've spent some time studying it, if you like. For me, it is one of the most profound words of the New Testament. It's only used twice in the New Testament. But the word renewal means... Can we have the next slide there? Be good. The, the Greek word for the word renewal is palingenesia. You say that with me, palingenesia. Let that palingenesia. Okay, you got that. Now, at the moment, it's quite possible the only Greek you know owns a fish and ship shop in Trentham. But there might be a time in your life when this Greek word will be the very word that holds things together for you. Let me explain. Palingenesia is a two. It's got. It's a two-part word. The word the palin means again or second time or another time. Genesea is from our word we know as Genesis, means beginning. Alright? Or new. And So what the word means, a renewal, is another Genesis. A new beginning. A second time. Once was in the past is going to happen again. Now Jesus is saying here that the world That the world that we know now is not the way it's going to end. The world that we know now is not the way that it should be. And it is not the way it is going to finish up. This is not the end of the story. There's a new world coming. Genesis is going to happen again. You see how profound that is? That when you consider the 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 effect that sin and our separation from God has had, on us in every dimension of life, not just in our relationship with God, but our relationship with our fellow men and women, our relationship with our environment, our relationship with with ourselves, with, with what's happening in here. Sin has, has had an incredible impact on the human race ever since Genesis 2. And we are now listening to Jesus, the, the, the master of this universe, say he's going to restore. He's going to bring it back. We're going to see Genesis again. Now there is no... So in these few, just, few words, Jesus describes where history is going and how it's going to end. But of course, he's not, he's not saying when it's going to end. Because remember, he also said that no one knows the day or the hour. He's just saying what is going to happen now. We there, there are some people who would some skeptics who would say, "Hey, listen! There've been there've been hundreds of doomsayers and you know, self styled prophets and you know relig- religious mutters over the years who've talked about what's going to happen at the end of the world." What's so special about a sandal-wearing rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. What's so special about Jesus and what he says? Well, C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia series, said that Jesus was either a liar or he was a lunatic on the same level as a man who calls himself a poached egg or he was who he said he was, the son of God. And that's the call that we all have to make, everyone has to make. Either we have been deceived by a liar, and so have millions of others through history, or we have been hoodwinked, we have listened to a hoax, and our lives have been changed by by a madman who should have been in an asylum, and that's what Lewis is saying, or he was who he said he was, the son of God. And if he was the son of God, we need to listen. We need to take heed to what he says. And here he is saying that the world is going to finish in a certain way. This, what we see now is not the end of the story. There's a new world coming. Oh, I like that. I like that. There's another beginning, a new beginning. Genesis will happen again. Can you imagine, you know, can you imagine what it would be like to, there'd be no bloodshed, no hatred, no lying, no murder, no stealing. We're all enveloped in this wonderful wholeness and completeness of knowing that God is, is enveloping us, with, and there is nothing that can, nothing that can shift us from that, that beautiful position of being immersed in his love, a new world, a new you, in a a new world. Can you imagine what it would be like just to be released from one internal pain that really you are struggling with at the moment? It says that he will wipe away all tears. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. The kingdom of God is coming again, fully to earth. Let's just kind of dream a little about what that might look like and I want you to allow me a little bit of license here. Some of us have been brought up to think that um, our eternal existence will be spent dressed in white robes, sitting on a cloud and playing a harp. Are we? Some of us have been brought up to kind of think that way. But come, let's just look at what perhaps is another perspective to how our life will be like in the renewal of all things and the kingdom that is to come and the world that is to come. Some of your versions, rather than having the word renewal, will have the words a new world in Matthew 19, but it's the same thought, the renewal of all things. You see, when God revealed himself to us in the Incarnation, He revealed himself. He came as a a real, in a real tangible, physical way. God didn't. I mean, Jesus didn't come as uh, coming. He didn't walk out of a spacecraft, dressed in a silver shiny suit, and he didn't come, um, sort of emerging from a a dark mist in some ghostly sort of fashion. But he came as a vulnerable baby, just like. You and I. He could be touched. He could touch things. He had emotions. He knew what it was like to, to be sad. He felt joy. And he loved like no one else loved. He felt pain. And in fact, if you read Matthew 25 in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what it was like to panic. He had a panic attack when he realized what was before him. And when in his resurrected life, he... He wasn't ghostly or ethereal, or wasn't some myth, myth, mystical sort of a being. He he walked with people. He talked with his disciples. He he ate with them. In fact, he had a barbecue on the beach with his disciples. So the the, the most, I think, one of the most incredible things about this resurrected Jesus, who and that really was the most momentous of the new beginnings. The most. The incredible thing was how recognisable Jesus was. In fact, his disciples thought he was a spirit, and he said, no, no, no look at my hands, look at my feet. You know, he, he wanted to prove that he was a physical, tangible being. Now, I believe that in the renewal of all things, this palingenesia, is that our lives will be no less real and no less tangible. Ever since ever since our son died, I've I've thought a lot about eternity. Probably because part of me is already there. And those of you who have had loved ones die will know exactly what I mean. Someone said to me the other day, "I said, how long, how, how many years since you lost your son?" I said, well, 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 we haven't actually lost him. We know where he is." There's a few, there's a few bones in the Ectatora Cemetery, but we know he's in the presence of Jesus. He's just, just gone ahead to beat the rush hour traffic, you know. Um, and so I've thought a lot about eternity, and, and I know that others of you here have done that as well. So allow me some license, but, and, I'm, I'm going to suggest you don't, perhaps. Think about this. Go home, pray, meditate, read, read scripture and see if kind of what I'm saying resonates with you and after you've really sought God and, and, and kind of taken my thoughts apart and whatever you want to do. But I believe that in the renewal of all things, that when sin and its effect has been removed from our lives and from our world and when all its restraints of sin have gone, where we will reign with him in the true sense of the word, knowing what it's like to, to nurture, to steward, and to look after and to care for the world that God has placed as him. I believe that we will, we will be all who we were created to be. Remember, we are human beings. We will be who we were created to be, and we will do what we've been born to do. See, we're all created unique. We were created as individuals. In fact, the Latin word for individual means that it can't be separated. You can't add to it, and you can't detract, or you can't subtract from it. It's a, it's, the individual is the individual. We're unique, we're distinctive. Some of us are more unique than others, but that's the way God's made us, and we're made in his image. Now, when, at the renewal of all things in eternity, does that stop, and do we all end up wearing the same white dressing gown that's been bought in bulk from farmers, and we sit on a, you know, a fluffy mattress playing the same you know, multi-stringed instrument? I don't think so. I think that, that when, when we exist in eternity, that when the restraint of sin has been removed, and all the negative stuff that's been spoken to us and all the dangerous and, and excruciating circumstances of life, when the effects of those have been removed, and those are the sort of things that have um, misshapen us or deformed us, not formed us, but deformed us from how God has made us. When that's all removed, I believe that will be the, the people that we are supposed to be. We've been born and we will do what we were born to do. Let me let me just let my mind just go a little bit here, but you know we, we're told that there's going to be music in heaven, right? Isn't it? There? There's going to be we know that there's going to, we we know there's going to be music in heaven. See, see, John uh, John Pringle's a musician. He plays bass. So John also makes oh there you go, John yeah it's okay um, yeah right So, <laughs> John also makes guitars. So in, in eternity, I believe that John will be playing bass. I really do. Now there are those of you, some older people here, saying he's just. There's going to be bass guitars in heaven. <laughs> oh no, didn't say that. I just said John's going to play bass. John's going to be here, and he plays bass. <laughs> and, and there's a chance that John will be making instruments. Do you think instruments that we play or are played in heaven just come out of the sky? Does God just provide them or do we make them? There's going to be activity in heaven. Um, Isaiah 65 says that we will be we will enjoy the activity or the work of our hands. We will enjoy that. We, we will do stuff in heaven. That we, we're going to eat in heaven. In eternity there will be food. We'll be eating. Now, now, I know that God is preparing a feast for us, but... I don't think he's going to prepare that every feast. There'll be those of us here who are good cooks. No, I'll rephrase that. There are those of you here who are good cooks. <laughs> who, who? I mean, there's going to be, we're going to, I mean, there'll even be classes of how to make, prepare broccoli so that it's edible. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> And who's going to make the tables that we sit at? Jared. Where's Jared? Jared. Jared's going to make that. Yeah, Jared. It's going to be Oregon. Yeah. And see, there's going to be, in Psalm 90, it's a psalm that Moses wrote. He he finishes off the psalm by a plea to God saying, establish the work of our hands. And he's talking about the future. And he's saying, God... If only we could be doing stuff that lasts, that has permanence, that, has se- that makes sense, that, that actually is worth doing. And Isaiah 65, I think, it covers that very well, and, and it says that we will enjoy the activity of our hands. I like that. And God is a working God. We were, in fact... Um, Isaiah 65 says, we will plant vineyards. We will build houses. There'll be no building inspectors, but we will build houses. (laughs) But God is a working God. God always has been a working God. And we've we've been made in his image. And work is a good thing. We're not talking about the toil that was initiated because of sin in Genesis 3 where we sweat and we have to pull weeds out of the ground and, and work as an effort. But work is a good thing. God is a working God. We sing that when we sing that song, Waymaker. You're always working, God. You're, you're always working. You know. Sometimes I wonder if God was married, would his wife be singing that to him? You're always working, God. You're always working. But God is a working God. And we will be working. The toil of our hands will be good. All right. Okay. When sin is removed and the way that it taints who we truly are and the negative words and the destructive circumstances of life that adversely affect us have taken away, when all things have become new, our gifts and our abilities and our aptitudes and our talents, and some of them might be latent now, but I believe that they'll be enhanced and they'll be enriched and they'll be beautified. All right. What about the created world that we live in? <laughs> one of the reasons I don't I don't have a bucket list of places I want to visit before I die. Partly because I can't afford to, but I don't care. Because one day I'm going to see all of God's creation. The creation that he said was very good. And when I see it, my jaw will drop in wonder and I will worship him. Don't you believe that? That's right, eh? What about, what, about the, what about the animal world? <laughs> I've seen a... Um, I've been very close to a whale breaching. And I found myself without realising it. I just found myself, God, you are awesome. And I've had non-church guys in the boat with me and they've seen a whale breaching. And they've just been thankful for creation. they would never admit there's a God, but been thankful for Creation. <laughs> because they've seen some of the beauty of what God has put in place for us. Is the creative diversity of the animal world, the zebra, the giraffe, the meerkat, the piwaka waka, the perhaps even the woolly mammoth or the tyrannosaurus rex are they part of the renewal of all things? I believe so. I really do. You know that there is an incredible garden God loves gardens. Genesis starts with a garden. Revelation finishes with a garden. God loves gardens. If you're thinking about taking out those flowers to put that driveway in, think again. God loves, God loves gardens. Can you imagine a garden with magnificent trees where, without, the, without the, the beautiful plumage of, and the melodic sound of bird life? Of course you can't. When sin is removed, when we live in this incredible um, realm of God's goodness and His grace, affecting the wholeness and the completeness of life, it will affect the animal kingdom as well. In fact, the Bible says that the lion will lie down with the lamb, or the and the and the um, the wolf will eat with the lamb, and then it's, uh, there's a passage that also talks about the, the lion eating wheat with the ox. Does that mean that the lion is going to become a herbivore? I don't know. But there's going to be something about the renewal of all things that affects even the animal kingdom. Man, I can't wait. I like it where I am now, though. Okay. Paling, Genesis, the renewal of all things. Genesis again. Beginning for the very second time. Of course, we all contribute to some extent right now, don't we? The lives that we live individually and collectively. We show a glimpse or give a taste of what this kingdom, what this new world, what this Pelanganesea is actually going to look like, the way we live our lives right now. The compassion we show, the sense of community, the love, the forgiveness. And occasionally, when when we cry out to God and in in, from His realm, He visits us in our natural world in a miraculous way, and we see things incredible things happen when God intervenes in our natural world. And so we see a portion of that even now, as we help to usher in this wonderful kingdom that is coming. It is coming, and we, when Jesus his disciples to pray and said, "Pray along these lines: Your kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven." It wasn't just invoke. It wasn't just for us to invoke God doing His thing, but it's for us to actually work with Him and to partner with Him, bringing in His kingdom in the world that He's placed us in. Not just the world that He's placed us in globally, but the world that He's placed Mark in, where Mark works, His world, the world where Len is the world where where um the, the Oregon man do this. <laughs> and God has placed us in a world to help usher in his kingdom in that place so that, that we give a taste, we give a glimpse of all that God is going to be doing in the future, but we're doing it in the here and the now. Isn't that good? The New Testament uses the phrase that in... In this, we are ambassadors for him. In other words, we, we give a reflection, we a representation of the kingdom that is to come. We are doing that now. I, I can imagine the, the, the vetting or the, the hoops that men and women have to go through politically and in government when they're sent off to another country to be an ambassador. I guess they do. I mean because they're representing the country they 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 have you know they ambassadorial residences they they put on you know parties and dues for and to basically to to show and to to reflect what the nation is like that they represent. And so we are like that and sometimes church I think is a time for worship of course but it's also a time when we can have an ambassadorial conference and we learn what it's like to represent the world that is to come. We learn what it's like to represent his kingdom in the, in, in the world that he has placed us in. We have a hope, a hope of a new world, a new beginning. And in spite of what's out there and in spite of what's even in here, we have a hope of a world that's to come, a new beginning, a palingenesia. And with that, we don't roll up in a fetal position and just cope. But we recognize that the God of this universe, the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to us to live a life that's effective and powerful in a foreign world that he's given us to display his character and his goodness and his grace. Isn't that right? So how do we, how do we make sure that we're part of this new world, this Genesia? I think we need to go back to that story of Nicodemus. When he came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, you know, you've got to be born again. Nicodemus was scratching his head and he said, well, listen, I've already been born. You know, what do I have to do? Go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus basically said that you've been born the first time and you've got breath in your lungs and and in a physical manner you are born. But in order to be truly alive, you have to be infused with my life, with my breath, with my spirit inside you, and that alone will give you the life that you really need, and that will equip us and enable us to be ready to be um, for, the, for the new world, for the new creation, for the new born again that is to come, the new beginning. I look upon you this morning, and um, you've all been born for the first time. A whole lot of you. You've all been through the birth canal. I can see it. But I don't know what goes on inside. Some of you may have, n- have never been born for the second time. God may never have, have infused you with his spirit. It means God saying, look, I, I don't know a lot about this, but what I do know, there's some stuff in here that I don't need to carry. There's some stuff in here that's wrong. There's some stuff in here that separates me from, from you, my very attitude, my independence, my willingness to live my life the way I've wanted to live it. I need to let that go. And I need your spirit, I need your life to come within me and to, and to fill me and to empower me, to give me a life that is the second birth. And that can happen to you this morning. And then and only then can you participate in the palingenesia, the world that is to come, the new beginning. Perhaps if that's you this morning and life is something that you need to, there's stuff that you need to let go of in order to grab hold of all that God has for you. Maybe the words of Louisa Fletcher's poem could make sense to you and it goes like this. I wish there was a wonderful place called the land of beginning again where all of my mistakes and all of my heartache and all of my poor selfish grief could be dropped like an old shabby coat at the door and never put on again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for the world you've given us. Tainted and tarnished as it is, we know that we live here with your spirit within us. But we we just thank you so much for the world that is to come, for the hope that we have in you, for the hope that we have in the the renewal of all things. While we're here, God, we commit ourselves to work with you and to partner with you and to make this world a better place, to usher your kingdom in. And, Lord, if there are those of us here this morning who are not quite at a point of understanding that or receiving that, we just pray, Lord, that you would speak to them. And if they need to accept you and to say, God, I need you in my life right now. I need that second birth. I pray that by your spirit, you would just nudge them. And Lord, you would convince them of their need for you. Sit on their shoulder, Lord. Just tap them gently and say, God, yes, this is what we really need. So Lord God, thank you for today. Thank you for being with us. Help us as we continue to work this, all this stuff through and, and, re- and see if it resonates with us and where we're going in life. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anybody here who wants to talk any further about how they can know Christ in their life and have that second birth, please come and see myself or any of the elders or Gina and Dino afterwards, and we'd love to love to talk with you. Okay.